This is episode number 67 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute and Fearless Presentations. And this is the podcast that helps people just like you become more confident and poised presenters and then tap into more of your leadership potential at the same time. This is podcast number 67. And we are continuing our series on how to start a public speaking career. Now, last week, I gave you an overview of a few different routes that you can take to become a professional speaker. And on the next few episodes, we're going to break each of those routes down into simple step-by-step action items that you can that you can take to, to create a public speaking career. On this episode, we're going to talk about ways to become a, pro- a professional speaker within your current industry. So this is both the easiest way to break into a speaking career. It's also the safest way because it doesn't cost you a lot of money and you're still getting in for income from your current career. So definitely the safest way to, to, to become a professional speaker. So if you love what you're doing right now and you want to generate additional income by speaking, then make sure to listen to this episode all the way through, because in the last tip, I'm going to show you how some of the most successful speakers really maximize their fees. And you can do the same thing right now. This podcast is brought to you by Fearless Presentations. I know that a lot of you out there who are subscribers or who really like the content of the podcast, a lot of you probably think that, you know, I'll just kind of listen to the podcast and I'll try to to use this stuff on my own. I'll do better that way. And you may be right. In, in fact, a lot of people get, get great success out of doing that. However, what I found is that when we're nervous about something and we try new tips, it's really difficult to perfect those new things, especially when we're under pressure. So think about when you were learning to drive a car, for instance. What what would have happened if you had spent 20 hours of study time on your computer learning about how to drive, but never actually being behind the wheel of a car? And in fact, you're never even you've never even gotten behind the wheel until you sit down in the car and the state trooper that's giving you the driver's test sits down in the passenger seat. So that added pressure from the state trooper being there is it would have been difficult already to to be confident driving the car, especially for the very first time, but it's going to be way, 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 way more difficult if you under the pressure of having somebody kind of looking over your shoulder the whole time. And that's kind of what happens. That nervousness really skyrockets. That's what happens to people in public speaking as well. What will tend to happen is that when we're, when we're trying to learn public speaking confidence on our own, and we just are trying a few new things and we just go out in front of a, of a group. If that group happens to have people that we consider to be powerful people, maybe my boss is in the audience or a, a high level potential client or customer that I'm going to be speaking to. If I don't think I do well in those kind of situations, it's just like having the state trooper in the car. <laughs> nervousness is going to really skyrocket. And that's what tends to happen to a lot of people. And that's why the, the fearless presentations class is really so valuable. It, the, the class is a controlled environment where you can take these skills 
under the tutelage of a, of a professional speaker, somebody who does this for a living that can really help speed up the process of helping you implement these things and having a success along the way. Now, we've got classes coming up. We've got Fearless Presentations classes coming up in Chicago and Nashville, Boston, Columbus, Houston. And we actually still have a couple of seats left in that class that I was telling you about last week that we're going to have in Miami. So Miami, the Miami class is coming up in just a little over two weeks. So if you want a seat in that class, you're going to need to purchase a ticket probably by Wednesday or Thursday of this week. That's that's about time that class is going to close. So if you want a seat in that class, make sure and, and go to fearlesspresentations.com and register. If I didn't call out your city, uh, then then uh, just go to fearlesspresentations.com, look at the seminar schedule. There's a good chance we're going to have a class coming up somewhere close to you in the next few months anyway. And by the way, don't forget, we also conduct private classes for groups of as few as five people. And with those private classes, a lot of times folks think that that's going to cost a lot more money. It's actually a significant discount to have one of our instructors come to you. It's cheaper for us to do it that way. We don't have to rent meeting room space and and all that kind of stuff. So it's actually we pass that along to you if you have us come out and do a class specifically for you. So for details about any of those kind of things, go to fearlesspresentations.com. So let's get on with today's podcast. So on this episode, it, this is a continuation of the previous episode where we talked about some ways that you can start your public speaking career. On this one, we're going to go into a little bit more depth about how to become a professional speaker by speaking within your current industry or even your current job. So one of the easiest ways to become a professional speaker is by speaking to groups within the industry that you already know inside and out, the, your, the, your current career, your current industry. So in this episode, we're going to show you a number of ways to get paid as a professional speaker without really having to change careers. And and um, the, although this is just you know one of the, the routes that we talked about last week, I'm going to cover it in quite a bit of detail. In fact, um, it, it, there's so much on this particular topic that I think I'm going to break it down into two parts. So in this part, we're going to talk about how to actually make money speaking. And then there's also another route that you can take if you're staying in your current industry to use public speaking as marketing for your current industry as well. And that's a whole different one that I think we're going to cover on on next week's uh, podcast as well. So so stay tuned for, for that. So, um, so one of the first things that you can do if you want to stay in your career, but you want to, you got the speaking bug and you want to be a professional speaker or make some additional money on the side, maybe, you can actually become a trainer within your current organization. Now, one of the most common public speaking careers, and in fact, it's so common that most people who do this don't even realize that they're really a professional public speaker, is being a trainer. So I'll give you a good example of this. When I was a kid, I was probably 16, 17, I think I was 16 years old, and I was in high school, worked at a fast food restaurant, and a few months after I was hired, a new guy started. And of course, my boss asked me to show the new guy the ropes, and he was just showing, he said, hey, Doug, show this guy how to, how to make the sandwiches. And so I didn't realize it at the time, but my role in that couple of minutes had shifted from being kind of a worker bee that was building sandwiches for a, a, an hourly fee to being a professional public speaker. I, I didn't I didn't really realize that at the time, but in it just for a moment, 
it just in that short period of that, that new guy saw me as the expert at that particular job, even though I'd only been there for three months longer than he had. He saw me as being the expert. I had information that he needed. Incidentally, by the way, a short time later, I was promoted to supervisor and there was a small you know raise involved. And, and I began, tra- began training more of the new employer employees at that time. So in essence, I was a professional trainer for the first time in my very, very short career. And a lot of people don't see that as being professional speaking. But but in reality, that's what you're doing. As a, as a trainer, you're giving your information across to people that need that information and you're collecting a fee for doing that, even if it's just an hourly wage on a, at, a, at a fast food restaurant. Uh, now, about a decade later, I had this, a very similar situation occur when I became a sales manager. For the first time, I was a sales manager and I was being paid to train the company's sales team that that worked for me. So the more that the sales team sold, the bigger that my bonus got. It was <laughs> the bigger that every quarter I would receive a bonus based on the increase in sales that we made during during that quarter. And in addition to that, during the sales meetings, I had to be a, a teacher, especially to the new salespeople that were coming in. I had to be a coach to the the more seasoned guys or the folks that have been around a while. And I also had to be a motivator. And by the way, that is very, very similar to what I do now as a professional speaker when I go out and, and teach and train and motivate and that kind of thing. So every single industry on the face of the earth has to have a way to train new workers as they come into their organizations. And in some cases, those jobs pay very, very little, but in some cases, they actually pay a lot. You know, for instance, my brother-in-law was a firefighter who ended up getting a second job working for a company who made software for um, in the medical in- industry. So um, since he was a paramedic, he had a background in medical semantics. So the company hired him to train their customers to use software that would help them do their jobs more efficiently. And because the training was so specialized, he got paid a pretty generous fee every time that he went out to a customer site to, to do that training. And, and eventually he actually left being a firefighter because he was making so much money as a consultant, so much money as a, as a trainer for this, this software. Um, I, I'll give you one more example. And this is actually a really funny one that, that just kind of shows you how if you if you're kind of looking for these things, they just they appear. So one of my instructors is a guy named John. He started his career working at an eyeglass retail store. And this was years ago. I, I, I suspect he probably started right out of high school. And the owner had told the staff, he just kind of came in one day and he told John and the other the other folks that worked for him that he was going to be selling the franchise. And and John being young and ambitious, you know, he was he uh, and by the way, he was only at that time making a very meagerly meager <laughs> hourly wage, uh, but he he expressed an interest in the in the store. Um, the now the owner not really having any other offers because the store was really kind of being run very dismally. It was run very it wasn't making a huge uh, amount of money, so he ended up selling the store to John because he just didn't have any other offers. And I think the owner financed it for him. And John was able to kind of turn that store around where he made it profitable and made it. He, he was actually generating some pretty significant income from it, so much so that in the next couple of years, he ended up buying two more of those franchises. And after doing this for, you know, five, six, seven years or so and really building up all three of those franchises, he ended up selling them for a huge profit. So here he is, this young guy. He's had had three successful stores, made a boatload of profit doing it. 
And he's he's retired at a very early age. And of course, um, after being retired for, I don't know, maybe a week and a half or two weeks or so, his wife started going nuts because he was hanging around the house too often and getting into her stuff. And, and um, it, you know, it just became, he was bored. He was bored. So he ended up getting a job. And since he knew the eyeglass industry pretty well, he went and applied to, to be a manager at the Walmart um, eyeglass stores. You know, they have those little stores at the front of the Walmarts. And uh, and of course, after having, you know, almost a decade of experience in that industry, he came into one of those stores and that was that was being run very poorly, just like the the franchise when he took it over and he turned it around and he ended up increasing revenue in that particular store over 300 percent that first year. Well, the folks at Walmart kind of noticed this. So the regional manager came to him and said, hey, what the heck are you doing? How did you do this? And he showed him step by step. He said, hey, I've, I've owned three of these stores. I've been able to do it when, in all three of the stores. And now I've done it a fourth time here. And he said, this is the step by step process that I go through when I when I want to turn a store around. The, the regional manager liked it so much that he hired him to go out and train the other stores in the region. And within six months from the time that he did the training for all those stores, that's when Walmart corporate started recognizing it, recognizing it. And they actually sent him out and he trained every single eyeglass retail store at, at every Walmart in the, in the United States. I think it was the world, but pr- a pretty significant amount of, of stores anyway. Uh, and, uh, and was able to turn them around with, to, to increase that income in each one of them. So so basically, he had an expertise. He had something that he had figured out how to do, and he used that as a way to kind of train others within his within his same company, the company that he worked for, uh, and make a, a pretty significant income by doing it. So uh, those opportunities aren't always going to be there. You're not going to see something that dramatic, but if you really pay it, pay attention to what's kind of going on in your in your company, there, there's going to be opportunities like that that will show up. So the point is that training, when it's well done, is a fantastic investment for company. And if you become a great trainer, then you can make a fantastic living doing that. So, and that's what I've done in, in my career as well. So you uh, you find a way to, to become a trainer and that, that can be very helpful. So you don't necessarily have to be a trainer in your own company. For, for some people, they since they know the industry very well, they'll become a trainer for others within that industry. And you can still keep your same job at your company by doing training within your industry associations. And in fact, last week, I, I mentioned that one of my first instructors was, was a CPA who made extra income teaching for the CPA association. I also mentioned that these organizations, because they require continuing education, are much easier to teach within. It's much easier to get a to get a gig teaching for an organization that requires continuing education because they, they 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 desperately need new perspectives. They desperately need something other than the things that these people have heard over and over and over and over and over again. So so if you've got something new, a new um, uh, a new way to kind of do what they're doing then uh, the, you can get jobs and continuing education gigs pretty pretty quickly and easily. The truth is, though, that um, it doesn't really matter a whole lot whether the organization or the industry that you're in requires continuing education. It's just a little easier if it does. But even if your, organi- your industry doesn't require continuing education, there's still uh, a, a tremendous opening there. 
Uh, just about every industry has some type of group or association that represents that industry. And in fact, I just did some research just to, I, I knew this was going to be the case, but I just want to make sure before I, I said this on a podcast. And I, I found an article by U.S. News that was published. It was called the 10 Strange, 10 Strange Lobbying Groups That We Swear Are Real. And if you want to link to this, if you go to the show notes on fearlesspresentations.com, just go to fearlesspresentations.com and, and, uh, and just type in the title of any of our topics and it'll come up as you're uh, type that in the search engine and and it'll come up. So, so this article again is 10 strange lobbying groups that we swear are rule. And it it is actually pretty funny. So among the groups that are listed on in this article were the U S association of reptile keepers. So there is actually an association full of just people that keep reptiles. Um, There's also the American Dehydrated Onion and Garlic Association. And in addition to that, you have the Balloon Council. Now, according to the article, the last one had a pretty busy year because there was a shortage of helium that year. So apparently the Balloon Council had a lot to do because they because their members couldn't get helium for their balloons. So. Now, each of these associations have meetings and every meeting requires speakers to present. You know, for instance, I'm it, it was funny that I picked that one as one of them to, to make fun of the um, the um, uh, the balloon one, which was the uh, the balloon council. Right. So the balloon, I, I was making fun of that. So I since I was making fun of it, I, I figured I would look that up and see when is their annual meeting. And it just so happens that their annual meeting is called Float 2019. Uh, and it's going on right now today that while I'm recording this podcast, it's actually going on right now. And when I went to the website, it was actually sold out. Um, but and if you want, if you don't believe me, go to the show notes. I've got a link to the the um, associations uh, to the float convention website and had show that the tickets are actually sold out for this. Um, and I, I kind of went through, there's a number of different sessions that are going on today and tomorrow and the next day. One of the sessions is for instance, is called baby boom. And the speaker in that session is showing the audience how to cash in on baby showers. So uh, apparently baby showers need lots of balloons, right? So, uh, so how to cash in on baby showers in today's world. So, so one one question that you might be asking about these types of speeching, speeches, though, is, you know, Doug, do you actually get paid to do these types of presentations? And in some cases, yes. You know, I've had uh, just in the last few years, I've had a number of different conventions that will call me up and they'll hire me to come out and either do breakout sessions, which are more common. That, that's the most common thing that I do as a, as a speaker or trainer, but I also do um, motivational speeches, keynote speeches and that kind of thing. And of course, keynote speeches are almost always paid and they're actually paid very well. It's one of the highest paying ways to to uh, get paid in the speaking industry, but they're much more difficult than the, the breakout sessions. You're going to you're going to have for every convention like this, you're going to have anywhere from 10 to 100, 200 different breakout sessions for each of the keynote sessions. And so it's much, much, much easier to, to get the uh, the breakout sessions, especially if you're just starting out. And so um, in if you're doing the breakout sessions, a lot of times you may not get paid anything to do it. You can use it as marketing, which we'll talk about in the next podcast. But um, there's also some additional ways though that you can make some some income doing it. But uh, if you do get it, even if you do get a small honorarium, it might be a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or three hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, something like that. That's, uh, a lot of times they'll give you something, but more often than not, it's going to be um, it might be a trade out that might give you a, a free booth in their in their trade show or something like that. 
Many of these speeches, are, though, they're done on a voluntary basis. But if you're just starting your speaking career, these are great places to actually get on stage. You, it, and while you're on stage, you get a video of you speaking at that event. And you can also get your first really big or good science group anyway of raving fans, people who really like you. So you can get um, some some feedback forms and, and things like that. So all of those things are very helpful when you're starting your speaking career, because when you get that video, when you get those raving fans, when you get those the the uh, folks that have hired you before that are now testimonials for you. Now it gets a whole lot easier to get more of this, the paid ones. So it's a, it's a good way to get started anyway. So like I said, all you have to do, by the way, to find out if you're what you're if you don't know anything about the conventions that are in your industry, just type in whatever industry you're in. Type that in and just put association or convention or something like that at the end of it and put put that into Google. You'll you'll be likely to find at least one and probably two or three, four different conventions every single year that are going to be going on in your industry. Happens all the time. So um, you, in addition to that, though, in addition to speaking in it at in, within the industry, you know, so not necessarily speaking at your own company, but speaking within the industry, you can also become a consultant, which means that you're selling your expertise to others who want to do what you do. Now, most of the time, if you're going to take this route, you'll probably have to quit your your current job. It's much it's much more difficult to be a consultant if you are um, if you if you have a full time job already. But some of the things that you can do though is you can actually set set up your your um, your content ahead of time for your consulting company so that when you do quit and you do this full time, you'll you'll be able to start making money right away. So one of the things that professional speakers know that others who aren't professionals anyway, they, they don't really know is that what is commonplace for you is uncommon for other people. So things that we know that we think is are very common, you ask people outside of our industry or you ask people who are just starting in, in the industry and they will not know these things that, that you know. So the information that you have about your industry can be very, very helpful to people who are either new to the industry or for want of a better phrase, they're less successful than you are within your industry. So the great news is that you, the great news about today anyway, is that with the technology that is available today, you can sell this knowledge without incurring any expense on your part. It's a whole lot different than it was in my day when I first got started. So it's much, much, much easier for folks that are listening to this podcast today to be able to do the things that I, that it was very costly for me to do back in the day. Um, I give you an example of one of these, by the way. This happened before I was even in the speaking industry. I was still in college, and this is way before YouTube and and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Way before even the internet. You know, the even internet wasn't even around when I was in college. So, when I was in college, I, some of the professors had their own books, and they would require their students to purchase those textbooks for class. So they actually generated income because a lot of times these professors would have hundreds of kids in their in their um in their classes and uh, and they might have you know three classes a week you know so if you got hundreds of, of kids and if you remember back when you were in college those textbooks were not like the ten dollar paperback barnes and noble these things were like 70 80 90 bucks a pop so every time that one of those books were sold the the professor was making a every time they did a class anyway they were making a tremendous amount of income well 
I had a graduate assistant, uh, I, I guess I guess they call him TA, teacher's assistant, I guess, who uh, who taught a lab class for us. And and he did since he was a young guy, you know, he was still in college, probably getting his master's degree, something like that. He didn't have a book of his own yet. And it was funny because I remember this vividly because it, it was different from every other teacher that I had when I was in college. But he, he kind of started the class by saying, hey, guys, if you plan on attending every single one of these classes, taking notes and studying everything that I say, then you're going to make an A. He said, by the way, if you think you might miss a class somewhere along the way, you can actually just go to the bookstore and purchase my notes. <laughs> Which was It was kind of funny. And, and as soon as he said that, he said that right at the end of class, as soon as the doors opened to class, I, I started walking toward the bookstore and there were like 50 other kids in front of me, 50 other young people my age that were that were going to the bookstore. And we all were in the same line when we got there. Uh, and I can't remember what we paid, but this was back at, this would have been, you know, like 30 years ago, you know, um, when, when this occurred and I bet you anything, I, I paid 30 bucks, 40 bucks for, for, it was a bunch of photocopied handwritten notes. That's it. He basically just went to the bookstore. He photocopied the, the things that he was going to be teaching us for the, for that semester, stapled it together and then had the book bookstore charge us, you know, 40 bucks a pop. So I'm sure he probably did pretty well off of that. And interesting enough, I'm, I'm pretty sure that though, Everybody that was in that line with me ended up making an A on that class because with the notes, it was pretty easy. So when I started the Fearless Presentations class, though, I, I didn't really have a huge amount of, of operating capital. I didn't have a lot of money to invest in in, in my new company. And, and in fact, I wasn't really able to create the full home study course that we have now for like six years in. It took me like six years to be able to do that. And the reason why is because at the time, in order to make the home study course or what's now our online course, uh, I had to rent out a recording studio, a professional recording studio for a couple of days. And I had to record the audio for the entire class. Then we had to edit the audio. Then we had to send all those files to a company who then created thousands of those CD-ROM sets in order to create the class. In addition to that, we had to, to create the, the, uh, the, the textbooks and, and, you know, and, and, and then I had to store all those in my garage. This is back before we had an office and everything. This is just me store that in my garage. And so anytime somebody would buy one of these online course, or I'm sorry, home, home study courses, I'd have to go put all those things together into a case. And I bought, you know, some really high dollar boxes to put them in so that they look nice when they, when they got shipped out. And then I would pay the postage to, to um, go and ship those things out. And, and, but I'm kind of saying it was a lot of work, but it it was fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was what, cause I knew every time I sent one of those out, Hey, I was helping somebody else and I didn't have to be there to help this person out. So it was, it was really cool. It was really a really nice way to make additional income. But in order to do that, I had to invest in thousands of those CD-ROM sets, which, by the way, if you have some way to listen to a CD-ROM, just shoot me an email and I'll send you those some of those for free. I'll send you like seven of them for free because I've still got a bunch of them in my garage uh, because eventually we when technology caught up and we were able to distribute this stuff online. Those recordings now are available much, much easier now that where, where folks can access them off of their phones, off their computers, whatever it is. And so we don't really need any of that anymore. So so in today's world, you got a, a dramatic advantage over what I had when I was starting out. Uh, now, in addition to the the audio recordings and everything, well, I also had something that was brand new at the time. Because when I started the Fearless Presentations class, 
it was I started in 2000, 2001 or so. But but when 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 we really came full bore, we started doing these all over the all over the world. It was when my book came out in December of 2002. And when I say my book came out, the Fearless Presentations book, it came out through Amazon. So basically, I was able to create the book, write the book on a Microsoft Word document, turn it into a PDF, upload that PDF to Amazon, and they turned it into a printed book. And within a couple of weeks of me sending that to them, I had 100 or so books that I could now take with me. And 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 um, I could use them as textbooks in my classes. I can use them a, a number of different ways. So I, I'll tell you some of the ways that I that I um, I made money with the with the book. So so first, it, since I had uploaded that through Amazon, it was listed on Amazon, and I got a few purchases through you know organic search engine r- results that you know folks would would um, type in public speaking book or something like that, and and I might come up in the top ten or something and and get a few that way. And I, it wasn't a bunch. It wasn't a bunch because I was an unknown at the time. Nobody had ever heard of me. Didn't have a podcast or anything like that, so nobody was really looking for my books at the time. But what I found that I could do though is I could. Uh, go to Google and do a pay-per-click ad and and just basically just advertise a public speaking book. And I just put the price on there, $9.95, I think is what it was at the time. Uh, and uh, I would just put the price on there and then a short description about of what the book was. And nine times out of 10, if somebody clicked that link, they were it's because they were interested in the, in buying the book and they could get the PDF through their Kindle or whatever, and and we'd make income that way. So, like I said, I didn't make a huge amount of income that way, but you know, it was it was it, it was an easy way to do it. Um, the biggest fees, though, came as a result of the speaking events that I was doing at the time. So, in some cases, I would speak for a small honorarium, like I was talking about before, and and in those kind of cases, I would just set up a a, a table at the back of the room, and I would sell my book there. I'd sell my book for ten bucks a pop. And it didn't take that many of those $10 book sales in order to kind of increase my honorarium pretty dramatically or increase the amount of money that I was making pretty dramatically. Um, the the big one, though, was where when, by the way, that, that was for the books. And then later when I got the audio cassettes and every or audio, because I say cassettes because that's how old I am, uh, CDs and that kind of thing. We sold those at, at the back of the room. We did that in a in a set for 50 bucks now. We they get the entire audio or the audio version of of my class plus the um, plus the um, the the book, and so that that was able to increase increase my income pretty dramatically. But the ones where I got the best income though were, were where folks would offer me a small honorarium, and then before I would hang up the phone talk, negotiating with them, I'd say, "Hey, by the way, do you want me to include a copy of my book for every person in your audience?" And a lot of times they would go, "Oh." Really? And the reason why they would they would do that is because a lot of times they wouldn't have a lot of money for the speaker or for the honorariums, but they had material fees that folks were more willing. The folks that would come to a convention, they're not as willing to pay money for speakers. But if they get to take something home with them, like a book. You know, they're much more likely to to want to invest in that. So they would just increase if it was a, a ten dollar book, they would just increase their their registration fees by ten bucks. And then every single person that was in the room got got one of my books. And even if it was just a hundred bucks, if you think about it, a hundred bucks, ten dollars a book, that's a thousand dollars more than the twelve hundred, the two hundred dollars or two fifty or five hundred that I was making for my honorarium. So it and and everybody was happy to do it. And when those events occurred, 
the fun part about that was that I would always stay at the back of the room and I would autograph those books. Half the time, most people had never heard of me before they showed up to my speech, but they liked my speech and I was there. And so they would come back and they would talk to me and I would, I would sign their book for them. I'd autograph their book for them. And if I had 50, 60 people signed, lined up at the end, sometimes it would take me 30, 40, 50 minutes, maybe an hour to, to finish autographing all the books. But that whole time I'm making connections. I'm networking with people. I'm finding new potential clients as a result of, of just hanging around and, and signing my book. So a much better way to kind of make income from my speeches when I was first starting out anyway. Now today though, you, you've got a ton more opportunities to do this kind of stuff than what I had. So if you just got a simple webcam recording that you made off of your laptop um, and a free movie maker program like iMovie or or whatever's on the, the IBM stuff now, or not say not IBM, Microsoft stuff now, um, they, basically you can, you can create some really, really professional looking stuff, a whole lot more professional than what I would have been able to create with, with a studio back when I, when I first started doing this. So, uh, and by the way, if you don't like to write, if you're, if you're, if, if you, uh, you know, cause you say, oh, I can never write a book. If that's not something that, that you think you're really good at, but you are a good speaker. Well, the easy thing to do is just to make a recording of yourself, giving your speech and then have somebody transcribe that. And then you can make a, a, a podcast, a blog post, a, a, um, uh, a, uh, an article, about that thing that you just talked about. You put a, you can either, you can turn that into a mini book. You can turn that into a handout that you can give people when, when you give your speeches. Or if you put a series of these together, you put three or four of these presentations together, you can actually turn it into a full length book. And uh, if you, if you kind of do things that way, it's, it, it makes it a whole lot easier to get paid speaking gigs. If you've got that written material that you can, that you can draw from. So, um, so the ideas that are posted, the things that we've kind of talked about here, the things that are on the podcast notes, um, are, are great ways to kind of get started in the, the speaking industry. And, and a lot of times the, these types of, of ideas are things that you can do without making any major changes to what you're doing already. Keep doing what you're doing in your career, but start generating these additional ways to, to create income. And that will help you get started in your speaking career pretty dramatically. So on the on ne next week's episode, I'm going to show you um, how to actually make allow your speeches to be good marketing for you. And again, we're going to talk more about the stuff that you can do online with with podcasts and with YouTube videos and you pay and and live speeches that you can use to really market your stuff. So don't miss next week's episode. We're going to cover a lot of great ideas that can really help you get started in the speaking industry. So we'll see you next week on the next on the next episode of the Fearless Presentations podcast. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.